Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Well, thanks, everybody. Let's pray uh, as we commence, uh, and we'll look at these two wonderful psalms. Father, open your word to us tonight. Thank you for the joyful faces on the screens, and thank you for the fellowship that we can enjoy even from a distance. And we'll pray that you'd bless us with the truth of your word tonight and encourage us in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's a privilege to open up Psalms 1 and 2, and tonight I want to largely use some uh, visual scenes to capture what these psalms are about and then talk into the scenes of our lives uh, in these current days. Uh, a number of years ago now, I, I flew from Bangalore in India to a conference in Melbourne. Uh, one day, I was talking with lo local Christians facing increased persecution for bearing witness to Jesus, walking around the village in extreme poverty, uh, escorted through some Hindu temples, not grand and ornate, uh, rather small hidden away sheds, local Hindus with uh, local temples with dark sort of areas for worship. Then I flew through the night and the next day I was in a five-star hotel in Melbourne uh, surrounded by food and luxury and music and wealth. And I remember how disconcerting the two scenes were in my memory because they were so opposing. And that's what we've got here in Psalms 1 and 2. We've got a series of scenes which are contrasting, visual scenes, uh, which remind us that the Psalms are not just written for us to read or listen to, but they really are written so that we will sit with them and see and sing their scenes. So psalms are written to be seen and sung as well as read and heard. And many commentators on scripture would say that psalms one and two possibly were one psalm originally, commencing with blessing and ending with blessing, uh, talking about the way of the righteous and the wicked and talking about murmuring and meditating. So there's three big ideas that run through the two Psalms. Just a reminder to us also that these lovely Psalms, these songs, uh, these were the songs of Jesus as he grew up uh, as a young man in Nazareth and uh, as a faithful young Jewish man. Uh, I love to think of Jesus singing and seeing and humming and meditating uh, these psalms. The reason why today we can so confidently pray and meditate on them and sing them for ourselves is because he acquired them for us. He filled them for us and then he offers them to us. So these become our psalms, our imaginings, our songs, our prayers, because first of all, they were Jesus's songs and imaginings and prayers. So when we come into the psalms, we always do so 
uh, as people in Christ. And I love to think of Jesus um, memorizing and meditating on these Psalms. And so often in his life, Jesus would refer to a text of scripture, even as he was dying on the cross, he drew on the Psalms uh, because his mind was fixed on these beautiful poems and songs. Well, there are two starkly contrasting images in Psalm 1. And the first one is this beautiful image of a strong, grounded, deeply rooted tree uh, by a large stream of water or a river of water bearing fruit. Um, let me paint the scene uh, as a young woman walks and sits under this tree. Uh, the village is at rest. It's a quiet Sabbath day. And young Miriam uh, walks past groups of people who are huddled and talking. They invite her to come and join them, to listen to their banter. But she can hear their crude jokes and their careless talk and their mocking words. And so Miriam is not interested and turns aside and walks away by herself. Um, she's alone but content, lost in her thoughts, in her private conversation with God. One of the habits in Miriam's life is to murmur and meditate and sing the words from the Torah scrolls from Moses. She's memorised them. They indwell her. Um, they've captured her imagination. Uh, she's put melodies to them and she recites them over and over. This is one of her quiet pleasures as she communes with God. She doesn't need to join the huddled groups of gossipers. There's a large fruitful tree under which she sits. It's sturdy and cool and safe. The waters flow nearby. These are good days, refreshed and renewed. Miriam is able to continue wrestling with the challenges of life day by day as she meditates on the word of God. That first scene from Psalm 1, 1 to 3 uh, is a scene that then repeats over and over through scripture. And in the psalm, it's contrasted with this second scene. Not a fruitful tree by flowing water, but chaff being scattered and lost in the wind. And here is the second scene of the psalm, which is a way God pictures the weightlessness and insubstantial lives of those who will not walk the way of the Lord. Jacob joins a group of people who are huddling nearby. He loves their gossip. These are his friends. He used to bump into them as he walked to work, but now he spends hours standing around and sitting around in their company. They scheme and mock. They eat and drink and plot. Uh, they have no interest in God's scrolls. They have long forgotten about Moses, prophets and priests, temples and sacrifices, love and obedience. The stark contrast in Psalms 1 verses 4 through 6 is between 
a solid fruitful tree and a weightless chaff. The chaff is blown away. In the future, declares the psalmist, the wicked will not stand, not in God's presence and not among God's people. They have forfeited God's blessing on their lives. They will be lost, blown away in the wind. Uh, two images in Psalm 1 are village images. They're images for ordinary life. But in Psalm 2, the vista enlarges and we have an image of raging nations and rebellious rulers in the first part of Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. So 1 and 2 are really complementary. We go from rural village life to the mighty kings of the earth, from a righteous individual standing away from the lure of disobedience to rebellious boastful world rulers from the village to the court from ordinary life to military might psalm 2 portrays the nations as being in an uproar their rulers are raging and the word translated in the niv plot is the same word as translated meditate in psalm 1 in psalm 1 righteous individuals Meditate on the law of the Lord. They love it. They delight in it. In Psalm 2, rebellious world rulers meditate on their plotting and scheming and power plans. The word in the Hebrew means literally to murmur or growl over. It might be used of a dog with a bone or a lion chewing uh, on its prey. Uh, but here is what nations do and rulers do, not murmur or grumble or growl or meditate on God's word, but murmur and mumble and grumble and growl plans, plots, schemes, power plans. If there is strength in numbers, the nations are strong. The kings of the earth are many, and throughout Psalm 2, there's multiple kings. But there is only one Lord and one anointed king. And so it's the many against the one. Just as it was in Psalm 1, uh, the righteous person is alone. The wicked are in groups. So both Psalms talk about one person with the courage to go their own way, the Lord's way, against the many. And then the Lord and the one anointed king against the many. So often we find ourselves in a situation where we feel we are a minority. And that's the case in the Psalms and throughout the Psalms, the righteous are contending with powers and numbers that are greater than perhaps themselves. The psalmist cries out, why are the nations raging? It's futile, this furor against the Lord. And so then the psalmist gives us a fourth image. Not nations raging, but a heavenly throne and a holy mountain. If this image is chaotic, uh, this one 
is peaceful and glorious. In Psalm 2, the second half of the psalm, the Lord is in his heavenly court, surrounded by his angelic host. Heaven looks down upon the chaos of boastful, rebellious rulers with their armies and their spears and their shields and their chariots, plotting and murmuring against God and God's anointed. How strange the psalmist says and how wrong. The Lord on his heavenly throne smiles, indeed laughs. Such furor is futile. God's laughter is a mocking laugh because God knows that the nations are weak under his sovereign rule. God's humour and anger are born of holy, loving justice. He calls out, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Notice the strength, I, my, my. I am sovereign. My king will rule. My place will be the place of governance. The Lord rules heaven and earth, his throne on earth, his chosen people on earth, his anointed king on earth. They are on Zion in Israel, in Jerusalem. And now in verse 7 of Psalm 2, the king that God has chosen speaks. And so there's a change of voice in Psalm 2. And the king tells us what the Lord has said. The Lord has said, you are my son. The king in Zion is the son of God. I have become your father. Ask me, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Father God gives to the Son of God the world, the nations. Though they are rebellious, Father God gives the Son of God the nations. These are the words of God at the coronation of the king. As the king is installed, the decree is given, the world belongs to one king, the anointed king who is the son of God. You will break them with a rod of iron, which is an image for the word of God. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You will quell their rage and rebellion. You will quiet them. The whole world will come under the rule of the Lord. And then this word of wisdom and warning in verses 10, 11, and 12, which is quite a wonderful word from the Lord to the world, to its rulers, but also to all people. You kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son. Worship his son. Bow before his son, kneel at his feet, kiss his feet, or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction. The way of the righteous is life. The way of the wicked is destruction. His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So as Psalm 1 starts with blessing, Psalm 2 ends with blessing from the rural village 
to the rulers of the world, blessing on a righteous individual, blessing on the son of God. So these ideas of the way and of blessing unite the Psalms. Well, as we heard in Acts chapter 4, one afternoon, not long after Pentecost, Peter and John, two of the disciples, are walking in the Jerusalem temple grounds. There is a man born lame begging at the temple gate. And Peter fixes his gaze on the man and says to him, silver and gold I do not have. What I have I give you. In the name of Messiah Jesus. That means the anointed Jeshua of Nazareth. Walk. The man leaps up, he is walking and jumping and praising God. And Peter and John are then arrested, threatened with a beating and silenced. When they are released, they go to the church and the church listens to the words of Psalm 2. Acts 4, 24, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, in Psalm 2, when you said, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. And the first century apostles and disciples know that the raging nations are represented by Herod and Pontius Pilate and Roman leaders and even some of Israel's own leaders because they have raged against Jesus and crucified him. And God has risen him from the dead and coronated him king and enthroned him over the world and given Jesus all the nations to govern. Enthroned, Jesus fills Psalm 2. So during the week, if you have a chance, go back and read it as Jesus, the enthroned, coronated Son of God, now rules the world through resurrection. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We've looked at four scenes from Psalms 1 and 2. I want you to imagine the scenes of your life during this COVID season. Perhaps you're thinking of being at home for another day or going out walking or ringing a friend or sitting anxiously worried about family members that you can't see at the moment. Or perhaps it's to do with work or health, but just imagine the scenes of your life for a few minutes and perhaps the days of this week that are coming up. I want to give you for the scenes of your life tonight from the Psalms, one image for your life, one activity for your life and one prayer for your life, for all of our lives. The image is this one. Take it with us tonight because it's, a, it's an image that goes all the way through the Bible, not just here in the Psalms, but a beautiful use of this image in Jeremiah and in Israel's prophets. And then Jesus sees himself as the true vine and branches that are abiding in him as bearing fruit and he speaks of himself as living water that flows into our hearts through the holy spirit the tree is an image of a solid grounded life that will withstand the storms of life it's not always peaceful and sunny and quiet and shady but the fruit bearing tree stands against the storms of life 
And together in Christ, this can be an image for our individual lives and for the church. In the times of the storms and the hurricanes, the tree will stand because God will keep watering and fruiting and flourishing this tree. So here is an image for our lives. And it's not hard to look at and love strong trees in the Blue Mountains. So as you're out walking this week, look at the trees and realize that this is an image for righteous people all the way through scripture. And this is an image that Jesus uses. And in the last chapter of the scriptures, Revelation 22, this is an image that fills the new creation. And there is water flowing and fruit being born all year round. That's the image. The activity is to ask ourselves tonight, what have we been murmuring lately? Uh, often we can catch ourselves, I think, muttering and grumbling and murmuring and planning and uh, doing our own sort of meditation, uh, perhaps out of discontent or perhaps out of some schemes that we've got going. Uh, but the habitual murmuring of the righteous person in Psalm 1 as against the plotting and planning and scheming of world rulers in Psalm 2 is a delightful murmuring. It's a meditation on the memorized and remembered word of God. It's putting scripture to song. It's reciting and emphasizing and meditating and praying and singing. And this week, I wonder whether we might freshly start to do that, perhaps with Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a beautiful psalm to memorize and then to walk around meditating and saying it to each other, perhaps learning a verse a day and then talking as we go walking in our groups and sharing Psalm 1 with each other and then putting a melody to it if we're musical and singing it and then praying it for a neighbour. The murmuring of the righteous, the growling and chewing over of the righteous is an exercise in delight. Uh, and the psalmist only had uh, the Torah scrolls uh, and other scriptures eventually, but we, of course, have the full scripture now. We have the Gospels and we have the New Testament letters. And so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly looks like a habitual activity of murmuring and meditating, growling over the word of God. That's the activity. So the image is the tree. The activity is the murmuring. And the prayer is Psalm 2, verse 8. Psalm 2, verse 8 is one of the great statements of Scripture. The Lord says to his anointed king, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. That prayer has been inherited by Jesus and then given to the church. One of our prayers, our daily prayers, I pray, is to pray for nations, perhaps to pick a nation each day and pray around the world for Indonesia or India or Aotearoa, New Zealand or Tonga, or to pray for the Indigenous people of Australia or for Canada or the UK or wherever it is that your heart leads. Praying for nations is praying that the Holy Spirit will flood that nation with the hope of the gospel. Praying for nations is so simple, a few minutes each day, just to turn our prayer to the nations that God has given to Jesus and Jesus gives to us. So Hebrews tells us 
that the world to come belongs to God and his people. We will inhabit and inherit the nations, set free from their rage, now at peace under the rule of Jesus. So I wonder whether it's a habit for us yet or not to ask God for the nations and to pray around the world, perhaps each morning, a nation a day, and we can do that for several uh, months and then years. I want to finish by reminding us of the last words of Psalm 46, verse 10. Um, Psalms 1 and 2, I think, cover off on all the big themes of Scripture. But Psalm 46.10, which we've been praying this week, and it's in the bulletin this week, uh, wonderfully says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And Psalm 46.10 catches up, I think, uh, the blessing of both Psalms 1 and 2. Um, when we hear those words, be still, we often think, sit quietly and meditate. Uh, it certainly includes that. But initially, it means be at peace. Take refuge. The chaos will never overwhelm you. And God will not let you go. And even the warring nations with all their power plays will be humbled. And military and dictators and all of the might that the world trusts in will be brought down and peace will reign. Be still. Be secure. Trust the Lord. The future is bright. And then individually, I think our anxiety sits at a different place when we take Psalm 46.10 as a great word for individuals, for families, for nations. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. A prayer for this week. So let me pray as we finish up. Father, make us to experience the solid, grounded fruitfulness of a tree planted right next to the water in the tough times when the winds are blowing and beating down on us and we feel as though we're at risk. We pray that you would hold us and Jesus, that your remaining love and that we would remain in you and that you'd prune and bear fruit and that we'd continue to flourish as a tree planted by the living water of the Holy Spirit. May we all this week as church and individuals be still and know that you are God. You will be exalted throughout the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen.